It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book, Close Encounters of the Worst Kind, and the captivating memoir, Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine. To quote today's special guest, coach, hypnotherapist, Mike Oglesby, in his book, Fight Back, End the Cycle of Anxiety and Depression, we tend to hold on to things in life, even those things that don't serve us well. I call these anchors, and they keep us stuck. Mike provides a comforting, holistic approach to identifying and managing symptoms of mental illness and reframing destructive learned responses to create positive, healthy ones. He demonstrates how negative self-talk chips away at our ability to cope with challenging anxiety and depression symptoms and offers us a a gentle path to cultivating a more loving mental space. Fight Back is a useful self-help tool for anyone seeking to improve their interpersonal problem-solving and communication abilities. Mike shares strategies for cultivating a productive, positive mindset that can help you feel more confident in yourself and engaged with others. He offers an, an engaging and transformative method that can help you unlearn and replace conditioned responses that depression and anxiety feed on with ones that cultivate happiness, self-acceptance, and love. Mike Oglesby founded Maximized Mind Therapy and Coaching in 2011, through which he helps others overcome anxiety and depression using both alternative and traditional healing modalities such as hypnotherapy, neuro-linguistic programming, programming, life coaching, and behavior modification. Having overcome lifelong anxiety and depression himself using these methods, Mike is passionate about guiding others to harness their personal power and create the life they desire to live. Mike earned his bachelor's degree in psychology from the University of Phoenix and his master's degree from Trident International University. And I'm really happy to introduce you to our special guest, Mike Oglesby. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Randy. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here with you this morning. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, You have battled severe anxiety and depression since childhood, and you had suicidal tendencies as a teenager throughout your early early 30s. You developed OCD, dissociated from your body at times, and even hallucinated from extreme anxiety. Can you give us a background on yourself as as to why um, this all happened or you believe this happened? Oh, yeah. I'm going to tell you, life has been a struggle. Uh, What a a painful, painful uh, path this has been, but a beautiful path in the end because I've been able to take this darkness that has lived in me for so long and transform it into light and shine that light on other people who have also walked a path in their life that has been painful. And so, you know, I grew up just like so many others, a little small town, um, you know, going to church, doing the, the small town thing, trying to live the, uh, the right kind of life. Uh, but there was something different. In me, and I always knew there was something different in me. I always had this sadness. I always had this uh, this feeling inside of me of um, it was just a like a dark cloud that follows you around. I always had it ever since I was a a young child. I remember looking back on photos of myself, and I wouldn't smile. Um, I didn't seem happy. I was rebellious. I knew something was wrong. And so as I grew up, um, 
I started experiencing more and more of these struggles that I didn't understand inside of me, which caused me to then lash out and uh, do things which at the time I didn't realize but was for attention, that, that cry for help. I started getting in trouble at a very young age, um, having a lot of problems in school, eventually dropping out of school because uh, I couldn't handle being in that that placement, that that setting, uh, getting into drugs real bad, um, connecting with uh, gang, all kinds of different things, lashing out. I was so mad and so angry and so hurt. And the suicidal tendencies and thought patterns started. I remember one time I actually sat down and wrote a note. Um, it's just a life of struggle. And I didn't realize then, in fact, I didn't realize until I was in my 30s that I was in uh, a neglectful environment. Uh, there was abuse around me, narcissistic abuse, um, emotional abuse and neglect, um, and this came from many different areas and many different uh, parts of my environment. And, of course, my behavior lashing out uh, kind of just perpetuated that, those cycles and bringing those things to me even more so than what I, you know, was around organically. Um, so I just grew up that way, and that's just what life was to me. I didn't think or realize that life was... Uh, able to be any different. I knew that it was different for me than it was for other people. At least that's what I thought or perceived by putting things together in my own mind and seeing how easily everybody else was able to just cope or, uh, you know, get along with friends. Or It's like everybody seemed to be able to understand how to be alive, human, regular, normal, right? But I couldn't yes. ever figure out why I wasn't. Right. You know? Isn't that incredible? Yeah, it is. Very difficult. Absolutely, which leads to a lot of, you know, behaviors and dysfunctional patterns of trying to measure up, right? It's that that idea of, well, I'm not enough, so I need to do something to be enough. And, of course, that is a, a vicious cycle that so many people live in. You know, let me... Let me base my value and, and, and all my results and what I can produce, which never gets a person anywhere because it's like chasing a, a transparent dangling carrot. You never actually get it. You know, you get these feelings that, oh, I, I, I did this great thing, you know, and, and I always strive to do big, great things as an overcompensation. So I had those hidden agendas to make up for what I didn't feel I had. And so I did. I lived a life of struggle, uh, of sadness and pain, and that's just what life was. I hated living. I honestly hated living. I, I, it's like wanting to die but not wanting to take myself out. But it was, it was almost like one day I'm going to get that relief. And that's a sad place to be. You know, that's a sad way to live life. Uh, But something kept me hanging on. Something kept pushing me. Uh, And I'm glad that it did because, you know, I've eventually been able to to get to this spot in my life where I don't don't go through these things anymore. I don't live in the dysfunction, you know. So it's been a rough journey. But at the same time, where I am now and how I've been able to experience the transformation and what I've been able to do with it to help other people, uh, I'm... I'm glad that this was my path because now I see that it has served a great purpose for me. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And that's really the message is that um, recognizing what we've been through and understanding that it's there's there's a purpose for it. And it's really hard when you're in the midst mm-hmm. of it to yeah. recognize that there's a bigger picture Um you know, but there there always is. And so what was the turning point for you? The turning point for me, you know, for me, and I don't even really talk about this a lot, and I don't even really talk about this in the book, but the biggest turning point for me came from my religious upbringing. 
I remember, you know, I went into the military at 19, started traveling the world, was involved with the, the war back in 2003, and seeing the cultures, seeing the differences. I mean, I was a long way from this little town that I grew up in in North Carolina. I went as far away as I could to get away from everything. I was a runner. You know, that was my defense is to run, to withdraw. So I did that, and I ran as far as I could get, which was Washington State, 3,000 miles, and I was introduced to a whole new culture. So here's this little small town country boy, backwoods, where I had been taught all kinds of things from prejudice to racism to, to uh, homophobia. I mean, just all these things, such a small-minded community. And just put right in the middle uh, of Seattle, Washington, <laughs> where it's diverse. I mean, I remember getting there, and the very first weekend I pick up this Seattle Times, and there's this 50-page special of a gay rally that had, that had just gone through, and I thought, what have I done? Where am I? <laughs> and as I look back, I am so thankful for these experiences because, man, did that open me up. And, and, and it showed me that it doesn't matter what a person does, they're still a person, and you love a person. You know, and, and to let go of that judgment. But I had to go through that transformation. And so... Uh, I, I start going through these different changes, and I start exploring the world, and I realize that these things that I have been taught, which religion was at the core of my upbringing, and uh, it just didn't fit. And so I started really struggling with this. I started really having this, what I felt like was spiritual warfare in me. And so I became angry. I became angry because I didn't have the answers, and I was already angry, so that wasn't, you know, far from where I stood in life anyways. And one day, I just started seeking. I, I just asked God, I said, God, show me, you know, what, I'm, what it is that you are, who you are. And I kind of just let go. I think that was probably the first time in my life that I at least stepped into a little bit of surrender. And it took me on this journey. It took me places far from religion, uh, but I needed that. I needed to expand. I needed to study different cultures, different spiritualities, different um, you know avenues of psychology. And so that's when things, I think, really, really started for me, or at least uh, that was the beginning of the path of healing. But the big change, and what I call in my life, the great surrender uh, was in my mid-30s. And this is when I started waking up. I started waking up to myself, to these aspects of myself, this dysfunction. I said, hold on. This isn't normal. This isn't right. And, and, and I've tried so many different things to get rid of this. And the pain was just... Uh, it was just so unbearable at this point in time because, I, I mean, my, my father was just diagnosed with cancer. Um, there were all kinds of things going on with my business. Uh, my wife's grandmother, whom I loved very much, passed away. And, and at the funeral, I learned that my aunt, while she was in uh, surgery for her lungs, was diagnosed with stage four cancer. I mean, so many things just piled on top. It weighed me down. It brought me to my knees, and I surrendered. I said, I'm done. No. <laughs> I can't do this anymore. I'm tired of going in these cycles. Nothing works for me. Nothing works, so I'm done trying. And I kind of gave myself to this system of life, universe, source, God, whatever it is a person identifies it. I just gave myself to that. It really reminds me of that, um, that book by Michael Singer, The Surrender Experiment, because that's what I did. I surrendered, and I just kind of let life take me, because obviously I can't figure this out. I'm not sure right. what to do, and everything I try fails. Right. So I stopped. And before I knew it, as I 
started stepping onto this platform that was made for me instead of by me, it led me down all these paths. Uh, and it wasn't all beautiful. It wasn't all easy at that point. But I was tired of fighting the same battle, so I just kind of let go and started pulling in this new internal environment of acceptance. Like, if this is the way it is, then fine. I'm just not going to fight it because that's not working for me. And so I stepped on this platform of surrender and acceptance. I became estranged from my family. Uh, after uh, much of the abuse was exposed that I had grown up in, I, I confronted that. And then I became estranged from the family. And that's when things started happening. And I remember uh, it was right around Christmas time of that year. I had a client come in. It was a, a very powerful woman with the gift of vision. And she came to me. She said, this session is all about you. Well, I was kind of stunned at that. I, I was, didn't know what to say. I said, well, are you sure? I mean, this is a session you're paying for, and you're coming in here to help me. I mean, are you sure that this is what you want to do with your money? She said, yep. She said, just sit back. So that's what I do. Wow. Wow. And she went through this vision. And I didn't really understand. It's very uh, symbolic. And she went through this vision, and she said, in this upcoming year, you'll be given the gift of ancient knowledge. Well, I still didn't know what that meant. But two months later was the birth of the entire system that we now can read about and fight back and, and what has now become the backbone of my business and what I do and the, the system and tools and techniques that I use to help the people uh, that I work with because it's what I used I went through it as it was birthed through me, that was my major healing. And I was able to go through this system as I was putting it together or as it was put together through me to heal myself. And what I found, being someone that has tried so many different things, therapy, counseling, medications, coaching, courses, all kinds of things, anything I could think of, but this actually worked. And to this day, years later, I am still free from those cycles of anxiety and depression. Incredible. That's an incredible story. Let's talk about that. It's very that. powerful. That's, yeah, it's very, very powerful. And um, often, you know, I find with narcissistic abuse, we're not ready to hear about it or learn about it or understand it until we are ready. And often that is when we are taken yeah. down to our knees. So um, mm -hmm. I completely, I completely get that. <laughs> Let's talk about your system. So you talk about um, in your first chapter that creating a new experience does not necessarily depend on creating a new event, environment, or external circumstances. Mm -hmm. Your experiences are not created by the events that take place outside of you, but instead through a process of identification based on what you have learned about the, about the events, circumstances, or conditions. So explain that to us. What do you mean by that? Okay, so and, and this is a really, uh, sometimes for, for some people, this is a difficult concept to really grasp. Uh, but when you understand yourself, how we take information in, how the mind sorts it out and presents it to us in what we call an experience, when we understand this, that's when we can begin to really change and transform our life. And so the idea, the understanding is that we don't actually experience anything outside of us, not directly. We experience things outside of us indirectly but we only experience ourselves. So kind of how this works, which we go over that in the uh, model of human experience and, um, of course, how an experience or what an experience is. So the formula is an event, which is neutral, um, combined with your association and relationship to that event, then creates your experience. So you're not experiencing an event directly, but rather your interpretation, your relationship to the event. So here's an example. Say there's a, a car wreck, and nobody gets really hurt or killed or anything like that. But you've got a car wreck. And this guy in this car gets out, and he says, oh, this is terrible. 
my car's totaled. Uh, I, I shouldn't have tried to cross the road. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a ticket. My insurance is going to go up. This is horrible. And then the other person gets out and says, oh, this is wonderful. I've been wanting to get out from under this car payment for years. i got gap insurance. They're going to take care of it. I'm going to draw a check. This is wonderful. So then we have to say, okay, the car wreck itself, the event itself, was it good or was it bad? And most people are quick to say, oh, it was bad. It was a wreck. Well, if it was bad, then how did the one person experience it as good? If an event is bad, then it is experienced as bad. But if we look at any event, we can see that there are many different ways to experience it. And if an event is creating a specific experience, then everyone who experiences the event has the same experience. But we don't because we all relate to things different. We all relate to things based on our belief systems, which then create our perceptions. And so we're not actually experiencing the event directly, but rather how we perceive the event. And so the reason that's important, I think, to understand is because if you're going through life and you're seeing these things, we just talked about it, you know, looking at these things in life, like our past that was so bad, or at least we thought, which has now become so good for us because we're able to use it because we think about it differently. So was it actually bad or was it good? And see, for me and the way that I teach people, it's not about good or bad. Those are just forms of judgment. Those are things that we use to measure something. But if you think about the concept of good and bad and right and wrong, positive and negative, and I'm not talking necessarily from a moral standard that we create in our life, but these are concepts, much like time, that we use to measure things. Not that this is right or this is wrong. It can be right for you and wrong for someone else. So is it right or is it wrong? It's neither. It's how you perceive it that then creates your idea or experience with it. And I think that when we understand how we put things like this together in our own mind, it allows us to change how we experience something because how we identify it is how we experience it. And so when we can see the truth, which is a whole other uh, you know, concept here, truth versus lies, but when we can see it for what it truly is, you will always find, as we said earlier, there's a purpose in everything. You will always find a gift. There is an opportunity to use every experience, every event that you go through in life to help you progress, to become better, to live a better life. But you must first change your thinking and how you perceive it so that then you can receive a different experience. That is absolutely, that is so true. And you said something that was very important as you were talking, I was thinking, but first you have to identify it. And, um, you know, in cases of narcissistic abuse, there's a lot of um, emotional blindness and memory loss. So, So, yeah, that has to be brought up first. And then you can then you can decide how you are going to interpret that experience. You talk in your book about um, the critical mind and the primitive mind. What, what are the differences uh, between our critical mind and our um, primitive mind? So the, the, the critical mind is more about the, it's like a veil or a filtration that kind of separates the subconscious and the conscious mind. So we pull all this data in, okay? So, excuse me, we have these five senses, these five physical senses anyway, right? And these are instruments to pull data in, okay? You see this, so you're pulling this data in through the eyes, or you feel this, you're pulling this data in through the feeling, the senses of the fingers or the body. You pull this data in, well, not everything's really relevant. And so the critical mind is kind of like this little holding cell, 
they say it's about you know 35 to 40 minutes it'll hold on the information short term and the things that aren't really relevant it's there's no need to store that okay in the subconscious mind the subconscious mind think about it as uh, kind of like a, a storage unit or a hard drive with hundreds of thousands of gigabytes and it stores this information to be used so that we can identify and you know understand how to move through this world but not everything's important not everything's relative so as you're driving down the road you don't really need to collect the color of every car or the make of every car so that information kind of comes in because it's pulled in through the senses whether we're you know focused or consciously aware of it or not we catch things through our peripheral as well so it pulls it in it sorts it out so that the things that are most relevant to our life are then pulled into the subconscious okay and the rest of it can be tossed out because it's not relevant so that's kind of the, the job of the critical mind kind of that filtration to help us you know take things in that we uh, that are relevant but also that we want it gives us a, a way of filtering through the things that are relevant and, and that we want and also the things that are not relevant and that we don't want the primitive mind is more of your uh, your core factor of protection it keeps your body running uh, it contains your fight or flight so your defense mechanisms things like that so that's just the way that the mind protects the body and the life source that's kind of the easiest way I would know how to describe that without really breaking it down like we do in the book okay yeah you really do I mean you break this down beautifully it's step by step to help us understand how this works um, really from the beginning of how the mind works and then we're going to move on to laying the groundwork and all that um, so you say that um, we're talking about neural pathways you say that change occurs through the formation of new neural pathways so that it change change happens on a biological level not just on an emotional mm -hmm. level so how do we um, how do we learn and 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 um, how do we learn and record these things so I kind of think about it like this the mind is there for purpose it's there to make sure that we can do what we need to do and survive on this um, on this planet right and so it, what it needs to do it needs to be able to understand what it needs and what it doesn't need so what is relevant and what is not relevant so there's two primary ways that the mind learns one is through repetition so the things that you repeat the mind says oh well this keeps happening maybe this is really relevant let's hang on to this and after doing this for so long the brain then becomes changed to accommodate that it's like you know you work or, or, or see a lot of people with PTSD uh, this is and we know by studying this and by measuring this that when someone forms PTSD that it literally physically changes the brain because that's a very relevant thing okay so that's the second way that the mind learns is through high emotionally charged experiences that's how PTSD and things like that are formed we take this experience with a heavy emotional charge and what it does is it there's a process in the brain called the reticular activating system and it's kind of like the 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 little sensor of the brain saying oh this is really relevant there's so much emotion tied to it that's one of the ways we know what's really relevant so let's take this since it has such a high emotional charge and let's lodge it into the brain because this is relevant and we need to keep this and the reason it's so important to understand these processes is because when you think about anxiety and depression these are experiences that typically have a really high emotional charge and so when we're going through anxiety and we're like oh gosh you stand this oh what's happening you know we get into this emotional state and then we just build these emotions as we're trying to reject it and trying to get rid of it and we just tune into that pain we're building this emotional charge 
And what we're doing is reinforcing those patterns of anxiety and depression because we're showing the brain that it's relevant and that it needs to hang on to it. Now, the mind doesn't know the difference between real or imagined. It, it works on thought. So if, if you've got something in your life that you don't want, the brain doesn't say, okay, well, we don't want this. It takes what you focus on. And whatever you focus on, you're feeding. And whatever you feed will grow. That's a, that's a very important understanding. Whatever you feed in your life will grow. And so if you're feeding these, uh, these cycles of anxiety and depression, you're not even doing it on purpose. You're not trying to do it. But we're actually holding it still. And we're keeping ourselves in these cycles. And so understanding how the mind learns through repetition and high emotionally charged experiences and that whenever you, whenever you involve yourself and invest yourself into things repeatedly or high emotionally, you're actually changing the brain and creating those new neural pathways. And the neural pathways just, you know, or synapses, you know, it's like an electrical discharge from one nerve cell to another. And it produces thoughts and emotions and chemicals and things like that. So it does. It happens on not just the psychological level, but your brain adapts, just as your body adapts. Kind of the same thing. And it does. It creates new neural pathways in the brain. So we're talking, we're, about, we're talking about um, basically the unconscious mind, right? Yes. Okay, yeah, because this is a really good explanation. I like the way that you explained all of that because um, what people who come to me have, the, the initial difficulty they have is connecting what they know intellectually with what they feel emotionally. And um, mm -hmm. this just goes to explain, you know, we're not, you know, we can't think our way out of every situation which we think, we think we're in control, but we can't just snap our fingers and say, okay, I want to be out of this. I'm going to be out of this. We have to understand the mechanisms that are holding us there. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> so you talk about pain, uh, physical pain, and, um, versus emotional pain. And what is the purpose? We know what physical pain is. Physical pain tells us that it's there. What is the purpose of emotional pain? Is it to wake us up to things that we need to change? What a relevant topic. It's so important to understand, uh, well, really to come to a new understanding of pain. You know, we, when it comes to pain, we typically try to run from it, avoid it, get away from it. But pain is one of our great teachers. As, you know, as I talked about, you know, I, my big uh, transformation, my great awakening or my great surrender was a result of my pain. Pain has a purpose. It's one of our greatest assets. It doesn't feel good, but it's not supposed to feel good. So pain has a, it serves a definite purpose. So when you talk about physical pain, I kind of use this, this idea, this analogy. So imagine spraining your ankle. What would you experience? Pain. So imagine that you didn't feel the pain, but you sprained your ankle. You'd probably keep walking on that foot, and you'd debilitate yourself. You'd end up messing the foot up or the ankle up further to where you wouldn't even be able to use it. So what happens is the pain steps in, and it lets you know there's a problem. Now, once you heal the ankle, the pain goes away. It's unnecessary. It doesn't serve a purpose. The purpose that it served was to let you know there's a problem. And with physical pain, it's, it's a little different because we can actually, you know, if you, you sprain your ankle, you're going to feel the physical pain in the ankle. But pain is a communication. It's just the nerve cells sending a signal to the brain, hey, there's a problem down here. Well, emotional pain is very similar. But the problem is we're not dealing with something tangible. So the way that I describe it through the model of power is emotional pain such as depression, sadness, guilt, regrets, shame, angers, and resentments, that all comes from 
a thought state that is based in the negatives or negative ideas of the past. I wish that had to happen. I should have done this, should have done that. And so the pain steps in to let us know, hey, there's a problem in your thinking. You're investing your thoughts and your thinking into negatives of the past. Okay? So it steps in to, to let us know to correct our thinking. Same thing with anxiety, fears, worries, and stress. That is all a product of negative future-based thinking. Now, it can be based on the past, but it's applied to the future. And so we have those symptoms of emotional pain to let us know there is a problem in our thought state. Now, this is not necessarily a conscious thought state. Sometimes, and oftentimes, we're very unaware of what the, what the dominant thought patterns are that we're holding, which come from the programs. And the way that I explain emotions to people, emotions are nothing more than the body's response to thought. It's very simple to discover this. You think a happy thought. How do you feel? Happy. You think a sad thought. How do you feel? Sad. It's your body's response to those thought patterns to bring an awareness to you of what's going on in the thought state. Because the thought state is pretty much what's guiding and directing our lives, which we understand the thought state is coming from the subconscious. But in a conscious state, we can change our thought patterns. We can work with them to provide different results for ourselves, different feelings, different experiences. So how you think about something will determine how you feel about it. And typically the emotions will step in uh, to push the actions and behaviors which produce those outcomes. So if we can use the emotional state for what it's designed to be used for as an indicator to let us know, bring an awareness of what we are predominantly thinking or the, the primary thoughts we are holding, then we can use the emotional state for what it's designed to be used for to make sure that we stay on the path that we want to stay on, that we're not holding these negative thoughts or these unbeneficial thoughts. So it's a tool. It's yeah. one of life's ways of talking to you and communicating. And so many times with people who are in pain, they don't even, some people don't even have emotion because they've blocked the thoughts. They've blocked the mm -hmm. event. They've blocked the experience. And so the emotions are trapped. And yeah. they have to learn to feel the emotions. Um, why does this happen? Why do we do this? Or what is the mechanism that is happening when we do this? Well, I think it's a defense mechanism. You know, say somebody goes through a certain trauma, um, especially as a child, and we step into this state of what we call experiential avoidance because we've learned that experiencing those emotions hasn't served us or we might be shut down. Like for me, as a, you know, growing up, uh, for many, many years, I never remembered my childhood, very, very few pieces of my childhood. And I learned one day that you know, I, was, I had stepped into this experiential avoidance because you know, I grew up with two older brothers, and so I'm the youngest of three. And so I've always been a sensitive person. But growing up in the 80s and the 90s, I mean, there was still the idea of the, you know, the Johnny Wayne mentality, right? The Clint Eastwood, tough, you know, boys don't cry, boys don't show emotion, that sort of thing. And that does a lot of damage, I think. Because then we don't understand how to deal with our emotions. And nobody around me understood it either. And so I shut those emotions down because they were no longer safe to experience. Because I was either made fun of or embarrassed or, or made to feel wrong or bad. And so when I would feel them, I would shut them down to the point where that defense would just kick in automatically and I would no longer feel those things. But then, then the anger steps in, and that's where you need to start become angry because you've got to have some kind of a defense to let this energy out. And that's when we start creating these dysfunctional patterns. We become angry, you know, and we start going into that fight, 
or flight because you're in that constant state of hypervigilance. And so shutting the emotions down and shutting those patterns, those feelings and experiences off, it's just a defense mechanism that the, that the brain kicks in and says, okay, well, this doesn't work here, so we need to get rid of this. And it just shuts it off. And then we become numb. We just become numb. So I think it's just a defense mechanism to ensure our survival because in the end, when it comes to the brain, that's what it's all about is doing whatever is necessary to ensure that we survive. Amazing. Thank you for that explanation. That was just very, very, um, very clear. Very clear way to explain it. Um, So I'm going to skip ahead in the book, so we'll get to talk about some things later on in the book. But um, talk about process versus result orientation. And I like this because um, when you talk about focusing on the process of of growth, one of the biggest mistakes people make is that they become results-oriented. And people don't understand, many people don't understand why this is such a problem. So explain to us how, um, you know, we, why we do this and and what a better way to think about this would be. Process versus result orientation. You know, when this hit me, it was like a, a, a light bulb just flipped on. You know, we're taught throughout life, keep your eye on the ball, go for your goals. Just, you know, you you look at the traditional model of setting goals. You've got point A, point B, this is where I am, this is where I want to be. And let's use weight loss as an example to to illustrate this point because it's such a relevant example. Um, So someone says, you know, my goal is to lose 20 pounds. And this is where I am, this is where I want to be, and this is how I'm going to get there. Well, the first thing we have to understand is that it's not where you are and where you want to be, and losing 20 pounds is not a goal. It's a result. It is who you are that is producing the results you have in your life and who you have to become to produce a life or a result that you no longer carry that 20 pounds. And it's a process, not of action, one that will require action at times, but it's a process of growth. You, if you want to have something different in your life, you must become someone different. You must become the version of yourself that you need to be in order to produce those results. Now, the problem when we rely so much on results in our life is that we're looking for an experience. And we say, okay, I want to lose 20 pounds. And when I lose 20 pounds, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be confident. I'm going to feel good about myself. I'll have better self-esteem. But the problem with that is if that were really true, then you would have never gained the 20 pounds to begin with. Or one of the many times you were on that yo-yo diet, you would have sustained that result. But it doesn't produce that result. And if you think that your happiness or your confidence or your self-esteem is based on a result, well, you're just eluding yourself to the reality because you're going to go in those cycles over and over. We're chasing emotions here. And when we chase emotions, emotions are fleeting. They change. They're up and down. You cannot sustain a single emotion long term. So it's not, it's kind of like happiness. Happiness is not an emotion. It's, it's a, happiness is an expression. It is a state of being, right? And so if you're in a state of happiness, you can go through uh, lower states of emotion, but return to your natural state of happiness. So we must first let go of chasing these emotions and to realize that when we're chasing results, For one, no result comes without a process. There's only one way to create results, and that's by going through the process. And if we want to create results faster, then we just focus more intently on the process. It doesn't make sense to focus so much on results. 
because oftentimes we try to fast track it, then we lose ourselves, we step out of the process, and then we can't actually either reach the result or we can't sustain it. But, you know, I was, this is going to kind of sound a little funny, but I was, there's a, a dumpster behind my office, and I took my trash out one day. And I, I threw the trash in the dumpster, and my next destination was the mailbox. I wanted to check the mail uh, before I got in my car to go home. So I'm walking to the mailbox, and this is one of those funny little moments that when you, when you live your life for growth, you go through these funny little things. And you probably know what I'm talking about, these little funny moments that, you know, kind of sound strange. But I'm walking to the mailbox, and something hit me. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm probably 20 steps away from the, from the dumpster here, but I've got so far to go to get to the mailbox. Okay, so this is my path. I get to the mailbox. That's my point B. Well, as soon as I get to the mailbox and get the mail, that's no longer a point B. That's a point A because then that becomes the starting point for me to go to my car. Like, okay, I can get to my car, right? And so then I get to my car. I'm like, yes, I finally made it, but I'm at point A. Now point B has become home. Okay, so let me drive home. Now I'm at point B. Well, I'm at point A again because now I've got a whole other path. To be result-oriented so much that it controls your life without enjoying the process doesn't really make sense because you're never going to get there. And once you arrive at the goal that you set in your mind, you're already thinking about the next goal. That's true. It's like we, you know what I'm saying? It's like we step mm-hmm. into this idea that if, if I can get here, if I can just get mm-hmm. here, right. everything We'll be fine. But it's never true. No. You know, and it's so simple. All you have to do is look at your life. Have you ever really arrived? <laughs> That's a great question. No, none yeah. of us have ever, ever, ever arrived. No. Yeah. Belief is a process. And what if well, you really arrived, too? <laughs> yeah. That's, um, Wow. That's some heavy stuff, Mike. Um, it but it's, it's so, so simple, you know. Though, but it, it, but it's yeah. It's so important <laughs> that we understand this um, yeah. because we get so disappointed when all we want is results. We get so disappointed, and then it becomes a cycle of beating ourselves up. And when we beat ourselves yes. up, we get into depression and anxiety, and then we begin to hold yes. on to emotions and the whole thing. It's like, so um, we need to avoid these uh, situations where we're going to beat ourselves up. Um, I want to move on so we have a little, because we have a little more time. Okay. So in Chapter 6, you talk about acceptance, and you say to change anything in your life, you must come to accept the way it is and your part in it. Oh, my gosh, this is such a big thing for me. Uh, Let's talk about this. So um, you say you have two choices you can make with the information, and... Let's, and so what are those two choices that we can make when something comes in as information? Well, we can accept it or we can reject it. And it's going to make all the difference in how we experience it. When you reject something, there's an old saying, what you resist persists. Okay? Now, if you're going to work to change your life, you're going to have to understand how the mind works, which is why from the very beginning in Fight Back, I teach people about the mind, understanding the mind, because that's really what you have to change. And and so it would make sense to understand the components and how it works if you want to create the change. So when we reject something about ourself, I call these shadow parts, and they end up consuming us. I use a little example uh, with the with my clients, I say, okay, do your best with everything you got, all of your conscious willpower, to not think of a green apple. Well, it's impossible because the more you try not to, the more you actually do. It consumes you. And then I say, okay, so I want you to stop resisting that and just let that idea of the apple, wherever it is in the thought space, just accept it. Let it be there. Because it's okay to think of an apple. It's okay. And now shift your focus to the present moment. Because living in the present is where you're going to find that power, peace, and progress you're looking for. And then it's, it's very simple. 
that idea, that image that they were holding in their mind of the green apple goes away on its own. So when they were forcing it, trying to push it, trying to get rid of it, they were actually holding it and feeding it, and whatever you feed grows. But when they accepted it, they allowed themselves to feed something new, to grow a new experience in their life. And when we, when we accept things, we can then look at it, change it, transform it, use it in different ways. And it, it, again, it's so simple. We can look at our lives, these things that we're trying to get rid of about ourselves and our experiences, the things that we're pushing against, those are the things that we're feeding. And even though it doesn't work, even though trying to get rid of these cycles of anxiety and depression by forcing to get mad, again, remember how the mind learns, all that emotional, um, that emotional uh, stuff that you're putting on that experience is holding it still. And so what we must first do is accept it. You know, accepting it doesn't mean that it's there to stay. Accepting it gives you an opportunity to look at it, to dissect it, and to see how you can use this, because everything can be used. It doesn't matter how bad it is, how big it is, doesn't matter. Everything can be used, because everything serves a purpose. And so when we accept it, we can embrace it, and we can transform it. Because if we're rejecting it, we're not even looking at it. We're trying to push it away. We're trying to run from it. And you cannot change something that you're not willing to address and to confront. And anything that you experience in life, no matter what it is, it's okay to experience it. Well, you must first become okay with it. Do I like it? No. Okay, I'm experiencing, I'm experiencing these, these, these thoughts, these worrisome thoughts. And, and what if this happens? Or what if that happens? Well, this doesn't feel good, but is it okay? Is it okay to have a thought like this in life? Well, sure. Is it okay to experience some anxiety in life. Yeah, I don't like it, but, but it's okay. And it has to become okay first. Because when it becomes okay, you're no longer uh, holding on to it with this heavy emotion, which is what's driving it into that subconscious, getting that brain to latch on and to mold and shape itself around it. We must first neutralize it. Remember, it all goes back to understanding how the mind learns. Heavy emotional charge attached to an experience trains the brain to hold on to it. So if we can come to an acceptance, we're, we can start to neutralize that emotional response to the event or the experience, which means then we can start to replace it. We're no longer feeding it. So that's really the, you know, one of the bottom lines to acceptance. And plus, yeah. you know, when you don't accept something, you're going to suffer, and you don't yeah. want to suffer anymore. That's right. Yet we sit here and do the same thing over and over. Makes no sense, but that's what we do. Yeah, I mean, acceptance doesn't mean that we agree with what happened or that it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Acceptance is that we lose the emotional charge that's attached yeah. to what happened. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, people people think, oh my gosh, to accept it, I have to erase it. I have to pretend it didn't exist. And no, you don't. It's always there. It's part mm -hmm. of the story of your life. You, you have right. created a story of your life. Right? It's just, it's your story. But you lose the emotional charge attached to it. I want to talk about um, you and, well, first of all, we've been talking about your book, Fight Back and the Cycles of Anxiety and Depression, which is a really excellent book, Mike. I was telling Mike before we went on air that, you know, this came across my desk without any, um, normally I get like a pitch or something, it came across my desk without a pitch, and I looked at this and I'm like, oh wow, this fits so well with <laughs> with a fine time for healing. But so how do you um how do you see clients? Do you do workshops? Um tell us more about that. Well currently I'm not doing the workshops with the COVID, you know, it's kind of a hard thing to put together. Um you know, doing these types of settings and doing interviews and things like that is about the uh, primary way I'm able to reach large crowds. And I do videos and post them on uh, Facebook each week, and I write blogs and things like that uh, and post those as well. Um, so what I primarily do is work one-on-one -on -one individually with people. Now I work long distance as well as in office. 
so that's that's the platform that I'm on currently. But moving more towards, you know, teaching larger crowds, which is really the, the purpose of Fight Back, to reach more people. I'm ready to take this system that I created or that has been created through me that has helped so many people. I'm ready to take this and deliver it to larger numbers of people because I think this, this information is ready to come out, and I think it's very relevant. I like that you said, um, and you said this actually in the beginning, that it was created through you. I, I, you know, I so believe in that. I so believe we are given these gifts, and um, we're so much more effective when our ego doesn't, you know, when we take our ego out of it and we say, you know what, this was given to me to give to you, instead of saying, I created this, and you know. <laughs> but I really like that you said that. Do you have a website, Mike? I do. I have two websites. I have MikeOglesby.com. That's uh, M-I-K-E-O-G-L-E-S-B-E-E. Kind of has a little rhyme to it. Um, And then, of course, my business, Maximized Mind, M-A-X-I-M-I-Z-E-D-M-I-N-D.com. And, of course, on Facebook, you can find those things as well. Okay, and um, which website would we go if we want to book an appointment with you? Uh, that would be Maximized Mind. Okay, okay, that's awesome. Um, we have about two minutes. Is there anything you want to leave us with? I know we there's so much to cover that we didn't get to, but I tried to get to the highlights. Is there a message that you'd like to leave us with? Absolutely. Um, Thank you for that opportunity. Uh, I really appreciate it and and your time and everything. Uh, It's been an honor. I'm a great fan of yours as well. I love your work. Uh, My message really to to the world is, you know, there is hope. I was one of those people that nothing ever worked for. Medications and uh, therapists, counselors, coaches. I've done so many different things. And I I felt I was immune, that everything worked for everybody else, but nothing worked for me. And this system that I teach worked for me, and it works for us, the people that nothing else works for. I won't tell you that it's easy. I will tell you that it's simple. It's very, very (laughs) simple, but it's not easy. Change is simple, but it's not easy because... We, we have a difficult time letting go of those processes and things that we hang on to that prevent the change. But it is possible. And no matter what you're going through, there are changes that you can make. There are new ways that you can live. I've, I've lived in hell, and I've lived in heaven. And it's a choice. But first, you have to know how to do it. And I'm here to, to guide you and to teach you. I am a teacher and if you feel drawn to, to these words and these, this message that I'm putting out, join me. Check out my book. Reach out to me. I'm here for you. That's my purpose. And there is help. There is hope. Don't give up. Thank you. Oh, what a beautiful message. That is so true, and um, thank you so much for the work that you do. This book was uh, is really a beautiful representation of all that you do, and um, you know, uh, for anybody that wants to um, wants to use Mike's method, which <laughs> makes so much sense to me, <laughs> um, and there's so much more to it. You know, we like I said, we only touched on just just little aspects of it as I kind of went through the book, but um, check out the book Fight Back and the cycle, and the cycle of Anxiety and Depression. Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm glad to have met you. Um, we share a lot of the same philosophies, and, um, and I wish you great success with your program and your book. Thank you so much, Randy. It has been, again, a great honor and a pleasure speaking with you and meeting you today as well. Oh, thank you. All right. Have a great day. Enjoy. Thank you. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email me at loveyourlife at randyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com. 
and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.